All right, good morning. Is my mic on this week, Dave? All right, excellent. Had a little bit of technical difficulties last week, so I wanted to make sure that I was good. Oh man, so first day of August, right? And last month of, last full month of summer. How many of you have been on summer vacation this week or this year? Yeah, a couple of you. A couple of you still working, right? All of our educators who are not teachers have been working. They're 12-month employees. They got to be right, John. They got to be there all the time. But how many of you have taken a vacation or a trip or gotten away or hang, hung out with family over the summer? Yeah, it's a great time to do that. Um, so hopefully whatever you've been doing, it uh, looks like you guys are being safe. If you're watching at home because you're not here, um, I hope that you're being safe and uh, that you'll be back with us soon. But over the summer, most of the sermons that I've preached have to do with, with learning God, learning who he is, learning what he's done, uh, learning what he wants from his creation and what he wants from us. And we've learned about uh, reading and learning God's word, even memorizing God's word. Anybody tried to memorize some of God's word this summer? All right, one person. Good. Um, <laughs> We've learned about practicing solitude and silence in our worship. Anybody try to practice solitude and silence? Maybe a few more people, right? Um, and we've learned what it is to keep the Sabbath day holy. We've learned about God's generosity, his expectation that we will be generous in return, both in material things and in our grace and the mercy that we show to other people. And we've learned about teaching these things to our children. All of these things that God wants for us, he wants for our children. And we are teaching those things to our children or to our grandchildren if you are a grandparent. This morning I want to talk to you about something that is rarely discussed anymore in American churches. I want to talk about food. Now, wait a minute, Pastor, I know we all talk about food all the time. That's all we talk about sometimes, right? Oh, what are they serving after church? When are we going to get to lunch? Is that pastor ever going to shut up so I can get over to Cracker Barrel, right? <laughs> so we talk about those things, and we enjoy them. Mealtime is a great time, wonderful time to fellowship with others, get together, just catch up, uh, talk to each other, reconnect with people maybe that we haven't seen in a while. Because we all know that when we have a potluck here, people show up that haven't shown up for a while, and we get to catch up with them. <coughs> and please excuse me, I've had a cold this week and still got a little scratchy throat. What I want to talk about this morning, though, is, is kind of anti-food. I want to talk about fasting. No! I hear them cry in their hearts, don't talk about fasting! <laughs> I know, I hear it in your hearts, I hear it in your souls. We don't talk about fasting very much, do we? I mean, we don't like to think about it, we don't like to talk about it, and I think it's because we don't understand it. What is the purpose of fasting? How do I fast? When do I fast? Do we really have to fast? We just, we don't know, and that's because we don't talk about it in our churches. So I want to talk about it this morning. And I'm not saying that, uh, that I want you all to fast. I'm not saying that, that you, you need to go out and do this tomorrow. But I want you to learn about it so that you have a better understanding. So the dictionary defines fasting as abstaining from all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as religious observance. And today people fast for a variety of reasons, not just 
for religious purposes. Um, diabetics often are asked to fast overnight and then go and take what they call fasting blood sugars so they can see how their body is performing if, if your body is processing you know, the carbohydrates and sugars and things like that. And some people use uh, what they call intermittent fasting. Um, and that's kind of fasting here and there to try to lose weight. They disrupt the intake of food. It kind of tricks your body um, and, and kind of puts you in this mode where your body will start burning uh, carbohydrates and fat and you can lose some weight. And sometimes that's on alternate days, right? So you eat on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then you fast the other days. Uh, sometimes we just, we res really severely restrict uh, caloric intake on certain days. Um, but there are all kinds of intermittent fasting that people use for, for losing weight. And one type of, of fast that's popular among Christians is this fast called the Daniel fast. Has anybody ever heard of the Daniel fast? So the idea from the Daniel fast comes from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his friends, they've been taken uh, exiled to Babylon, right? So they're now living in the house of the king. And they were put in with a bunch of other smart, young, fit men from all over the place, the, all these people that the king has captured and brought. He wanted the best and the brightest and the strongest and the, the smartest people around him. And they were instructed to eat the king's food for a period of time, and then they were going to be brought to the king. The king would kind of do an interview with them or a test for them to see if they were going to be part of the king's inner circle there. And some of the food they were instructed to eat fell under the category of what Daniel and his friends would consider unclean, right? They were, they were Israelites, they were Hebrews, and God, in his commandments, have, has, has made certain foods unclean. So Daniel and his friends asked the jailer, not the jailer, kind of, you know, the, the, the caregiver, the caretaker, they say, Give us nothing but vegetables and water to eat. And the word vegetables here, just in case you're, you're wondering, means food grown from seeds. So you're talking about legumes and nuts and things like that. So Daniel makes a deal that they're going to be fed nothing but vegetables for 10 days. And if after 10 days they look horrible or they look emaciated or they look worse than the other men that are there, then, then we will do what you tell us to do. And Daniel 1.15 says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food, all of these meats and protein-rich things that really built their, their, their bodies up. And Daniel and his friends looked better than they did. And interestingly, in 2010, the University of Memphis conducted a study on the Daniel fast. They, they brought a bunch of people together. They had them do this Daniel fast. And they concluded that not only was the fast well tolerated, because it wasn't a hunger fast, it was just cutting out certain foods. And it was well tolerated by men and women. So your whole family could do this. It also improved several risk factors uh, for metabolic and cardiovascular disease, including reducing high blood pressure, reducing blood sugar levels, reducing bad cholesterol levels. And the subjects of the study reported getting fuller faster on the Daniel fast because of the high fiber 
and low carbohydrate intake. So they got in more fiber, they got in more protein with legumes and, and nuts and things like that. And they felt fuller faster, which meant that they didn't have to eat as much. And the fast in Daniel is, is what we would call a partial fast. Not that you don't eat anything, but you only eat certain things, you cut other things out. Uh, I, think of, uh, I think a couple of people here are doing the, the ketogenic or the keto uh, diet, where you cut out most carbs and you increase like fat and protein, and that is supposed to help you lose weight. Anybody doing that keto? How's it going? Really? 22 pounds. How long have you been doing? Uh, since Easter. All right. So from April to August, 1st of August, 22 pounds. Not too bad. How are you feeling? A lot better. Good. All right. So we fast for all of these different kinds of reasons. We fast to feel better. But some fasts are kind of religious observances, and some fasts in the Bible call for full fasts. And those are things where the, the person fasts uh, all food. May, they might drink water. Water might be the only thing they have. And in the Old Testament, there are many mentions of fasting. We find an individual fasting for personal reasons. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan confronts King David about his murder of Uriah the Hittite. He sent Uriah the Hittite off to die in battle purposely because he had had an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. So he wanted, and, and Bathsheba came to him and said, I'm pregnant. And David tried to get Uriah to come back and sleep with his wife to cover up the pregnancy, and Uriah refused because he was an upright man, and he thought, if none of the soldiers out in the field can come home and sleep with their wives, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. So David said, okay, send him to battle and put him in the front lines and make sure that he gets killed. And Nathan, David doesn't think anybody knows. And Nathan comes and confronts him about it. And he rebukes David for what he did. And then David confesses in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, well, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. But Nathan tells David, that the child that Bathsheba is bearing will die soon after he's born. And starting in 2 Samuel 12, verse 15, we read, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David, therefore, sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Daniel's, or I'm sorry, David's fast was an attempt to humble himself, to pray, to ask forgiveness, and to ask God to relent from this course of action. That was a personal fast, something that he was looking for just for his family. Now, some fasts in the Old Testament happened among groups or even tribes or even whole nations. Um, the nation of Israel sometimes would fast to seek God's action in something that was happening, particularly if they were screwing up really badly and God was kind of apart from them and things were going horrible, they would come and they would fast and ask God's forgiveness and God would relent and 
things would get better for a while until they started screwing up again. But one example of, of a fast amongst a nation was that of Queen Esther. She called for a fast in Esther chapter 4. Uh, Esther's uh, relative, Mordecai, informed Esther that there was a plot to annihilate all of the people of Israel that were living in Persia, which is where they were exiled to at the time. And Mordecai tells Esther, you've got to go to see the king, because she's the queen, right? You've got to go and see the king and tell the king what's going on and try to get him to stop this annihilation of the people of Israel. And they argued back and forth between messengers because he couldn't actually go see the queen. So she was sending messages back and forth. He was sending messages back and forth. But then we read in Esther 4, 15 and 16, after all of these arguments, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we see Esther here calling for all of the people in that area, all of the people, the Jews in Susa, where she was living to do this fast. And often we read about the people of Israel fasting, like I said, to receive forgiveness from God for the sins that they had committed. And we also see that God has commanded fasting for the people of Israel for something called the Day of Atonement. And we read about the Day of Atonement for Israel in Leviticus chapter 16. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger, who sojourns among you. For on this day atonement, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Now, it doesn't mention fasting here, right? But what it does say is to afflict yourselves. And the Hebrew word for afflict here has several meanings. One is to humble oneself, and another is to emaciate oneself. So really kind of weird uh, translations going on with this Hebrew word. But if you put those two ideas together, emaciate yourself and humble yourself, you get this idea, and the, the Israelites got this idea of fasting. So we know now kind of what fasting is. We know about the types of fasts. We've seen some examples in Scripture. But we still don't know why. What is it that God wants from us when we're fasting? Why does he command his people to fast? Why does he tell us that we should fast? And that's the question that I want to answer this morning. There's, there's three reasons, I think, that God calls people to fast. Number one, God wants us to fast to show obedience to him. If we look all the way back at the Garden of Eden, remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We've, we've talked about that here. But in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you will eat of it, you shall surely die. So God's saying, you've got all of these trees around you. 
every tree. You can walk up to any tree around here, grab some stuff and eat it. Any tree except that one. One tree. If you eat it, it'll kill you. Now, of course, as humans and in human nature, we are almost bound to desire that which has been forbidden. Amen? I mean, when you go to the doctor and he tells you you have high blood pressure and high cholesterol and tells you not to eat bacon anymore, well, what's the one thing now you want to eat more than anything else in the world? Bacon! Is that just me? I don't know. But in the case of the doctor, he tells you that bacon is going to kill you if you keep eating a pound of it every day. And that's probably true. I'm going to test that theory a little bit. But see, in the case of God's prohibition, he tells Adam and Eve that they will die if they eat from the fruit of this one tree. Now, we don't know what that fruit was. You know, all the artists say it was an apple. I don't know if it was an apple or not. It might have been a, a fruit that was exclusive to that one tree, and we'll never know what it was. But Satan knows human nature, doesn't he? Satan knows that if he can get me to eat a pound of bacon every day, I'll die. And Satan knew that if he continued to nudge Adam and Eve in the direction of that one tree that you absolutely cannot have, well, eventually we may act out and take it anyway. God's prohibition to Adam and Eve was to see if they would be obedient to him. If God hadn't wanted this couple to obey this one command, I'm not sure he would have put that tree in that garden in the first place. I mean, think about it. I'm going to give you everything. And then I'm going to put one little thing here and tell you not to do it. I think God is testing Adam and Eve to see if they're going to be obedient. And I know some people say, well, God doesn't test us. Well, yes, he does. And we read about that over and over again in Scripture, how God tests his people. And I wonder if this was not a test of obedience. You must fast from this one tree. You cannot have it. Of course, Adam and Eve failed that test of obedience after Satan came and, and did some prodding. So I think God wants to see if we'll be obedient to his commands. Second thing is that I think God wants us to fast to show our humility in repentance. When we read about fasting in the Old Testament, uh, we read often that people would take off their regular clothes and put on sackcloth. And sackcloth, some people think it's like burlap. It's actually a, a cloth made of the black hairs of goats, which are like the short hairs. They're all scratchy and itchy, not very comfortable to wear. And they would sit in ashes. So they would sit in this sackcloth on the ground in a pile of ashes, and then they would pour ashes over their heads. When Jonah went to Nineveh, we read Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now I want to point something out here. There is nothing in Jonah's message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There is nothing in that message to suggest that Nineveh has any chance of this not happening. This is a pretty definite statement. 40 days and you're dead is basically what Noah's saying here. But the people of Nineveh, sinful as they were, knew God. The people of Nineveh knew that they weren't living the way that God wanted them to live. And they understood his mercy. They understood that God is merciful. And when they put on sackcloth and ashes, they did so in pure repentance of the way that they had been living as individuals and as a city. And we read on, the word reached the king of Nineveh. I guess I missed a slide. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And this is why. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? God might stop our destruction. God might have mercy on us. But our repentance has to be true. We have to stop doing the things that we're doing. So start fasting, stop being violent, stop being evil towards one another, and let's get our acts together, Nineveh. To that statement, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. We might add, but even if he doesn't, we will ask forgiveness and humble ourselves before him in sackcloth and ashes for these 40 days. But even if he doesn't, Back in Daniel, again, there was another time when people were faced with death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, the God who we serve is able to rescue us from your hand, and he is able to rescue us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to do things God's way. Nineveh got a wake-up call, and they started doing things God's way. And God relented. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. God showed mercy to Nineveh because of their humility and their repentance, and they showed that humility and repentance through fasting. 
Third reason that God asks us to fast is to show our dependence on him for our material needs. In Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses tells Israel, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the same verse that Jesus quoted to Satan when Satan was tempting him in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan said, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days. Here's some stone. If you're the son of God, you certainly can turn these stones into bread. Go ahead, have a bite. Sound familiar? Have a bite. And Jesus said these words. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Jesus was telling Satan, God, my father, who I know and who I am known by, allowed his people Israel to know hunger, just as I am knowing it right now. Then, after they knew hunger, he rained down bread from heaven. He rained down bread from heaven to feed every person. You know what Satan, according to the census that Moses did in the second year after the Exodus, there were 603,500 men, not counting men and women, and not counting the whole tribe of Levi. And God fed every one of them for 38 years. My father could feed 603,500 people plus women and children plus the tribe of Levi every day for 38 years. What makes you think he can't feed me when he wants me to be fed? And we read, after Satan had finished all of his temptations, he left the wilderness. He left Jesus alone, and the angels came down and ministered to Jesus. And we all know that ministry means taking care of the physical needs of a person. They fed Jesus. Probably fed him a lot better than stones turned to bread, too. When we think about fasting, which we really don't think too often about if we're being honest, if we think about it at all, but when we think about fasting, we ought to think about our journey with Jesus Christ. We ought to think about the way he lived. He lived in obedience to God the Father. He lived in humility. He lived in dependence on God for his physical and his spiritual needs. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus hungered for God more than anything else. And when we think of fasting and we think of it as a chore, as some sort of requirement, as some sort of checkbox that we should be doing, we forget the reason for fasting. 
because we don't think about all of the amazing things that God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. I'm going to tell you something. If we don't practice fasting, and if we don't practice it in the right way, we're going to miss out on all of the amazing things that God has in store for us. If we can't live in obedience and humility and dependence on God, we're going to miss out on a lot. And next week we're going to talk about what fasting looks like for Christians in the 21st century. We're going to talk about what does it mean for us sitting here today to truly hunger for God. I hope that you will be here. I hope that you'll join us either in person, online, however you're able to do that. But I hope you join us. Would you pray with me? Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for everything. God, you created this universe just so we would have a place to be in. And you created us just so you could love us. Father, open our hearts and our minds. Open our souls. Let the Holy Spirit dwell within us so that we are constantly and for the rest of our lives hungry for you. Father, show us how to be obedient and humble and dependent on you. We thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning, Deacon uh, Dean Shank will be leading our communion service. And uh, after communion, the praise team will come up and lead us in a final time of uh, worship with music. Dean? Matthew 26, starting in verse 17, which talks about the Lord's uh, Supper. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked Him, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. 
Jesus answered, yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we see here in the next to the last verse, Jesus is fasting from the fruit of the vine till he can partake of it again with all of us in his Father's home in heaven. At this time, uh, will Deacon Geis come up and join me? What we're going to do, we're going to have a quiet time of reflection, and then I'm going to ask you to come up, and we have the, um, the wafer and the cup together. Just come up and get one and go back to your seats, then we'll together partake of the wafer, and then again of the cup. Um, First of all, let's just take a few minutes um, to just pray and reflect. Um, if there's anything you need to work out with God, feel free to do so. Examine yourselves. Um, ask for forgiveness if you need forgiveness. Ask for strength if you need strength, comfort, whatever you need. Um, we'll take a minute or two to do that, and then I'll call you to come up um, for the cup and the bread. Um, and please bow your heads in prayer again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus down to earth to have his body broken on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we eat this bread in remembrance of his body, which was broken for us, that we might be reconciled to you and be in heaven with you again someday for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me take you the bread. All right, before we partake of the cup, please join me in prayer again. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that in sacrifice in Jesus on the cross for our sins, we thank you for his shed blood that washes away our sins and makes us white as snow. For Lord with man, it is impossible to please you and to be reconciled to you. But Lord with you, all things are possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for that Lord. For you alone are worthy of all glory, honor and praise. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you all. 
Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and search for righteousness and be filled this week. God bless you.